This is New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. And if you really enjoy this podcast, you can help us reach more people. Just take a moment to rate and review us on your podcasting app. It helps new people find the show. This week on New Classical Tracks, you're going to enjoy some rare revivals of orchestral works by Florence Price. It's the second recording in a series that John Jetter has put together. He spends most of his time as music director and conductor of Arkansas's Fort Smith Symphony, and he's a big believer in promoting the culture of his state, even if it means going to Vienna. That's what he did for this second recording, and they're celebrating the music of Florence Price. In fact, Vienna Radio Symphony Orchestra had never heard her music before. You get to hear this music and much more this week on New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Macher. The last time we talked, it was pre-COVID, 2019, I'm curious what you might have discovered about yourself in the past year and a half that maybe has surprised you. Wow, I didn't expect that for a question. Okay, well, I would say uh, during COVID, this is a roundabout answer. We were really lucky. Uh, My orchestra here in uh, Fort Smith, Arkansas, we actually got together and worked really hard. And I guess maybe to answer your question is, uh, I felt reassured that I was a hard worker. Uh, We were actually able to give our entire subscription season live during COVID. And uh, we gave 12 performances, 10 of them were indoors. And we did, you know, every conceivable protocol you can imagine. So our COVID year was very, very busy, actually. So, um, you know, I just felt lucky to be able to do it. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, so this year is, you know, we've obviously still having to address some issues, but uh, we sure learned a lot last year, you know, doing that. So can you tell me, is there anything that you learned that maybe you're planning on carrying forward? Oh, well, actually, yeah. Uh, Even in terms of like the the concert experience uh, as a result. Oh, absolutely. Um, um, I would, of course, never say that there is anything positive about what happened last year it was awful, but we it, it sort of forced us to uh, revisit pretty much everything. So things like um, traditional concert programs, the physical concert program, we had been toying with doing that on our phones actually pre-COVID. And then of course, during COVID, we didn't want people touching anything, right? So uh, it ultimately ended up with a terrific new uh, concert program that's on the phones, and it's absolutely fantastic. And there's a lot more interactive possibilities. So that's a neat thing. So yes, one result is we actually encourage phone usage (laughs) in some ways at the concerts. Uh, We also are no longer, as far as I know, uh, going to be doing intermissions anymore because last year with COVID, the concerts were a little shorter and there was no intermission. So you had the audience come to these concerts and for the most part say, you know, I actually like that. It's like going to a movie. So, uh, so we now do our quote unquote intermissions uh, after the concert. We have a great venue that's more or less outdoors to do. We do after parties now instead of intermissions. So those are two very tangible things, actually. And the concerts actually are maybe a little shorter, just a little bit. 
And people love hearing the orchestra, but I think they liked um, what we're able to do now is instead of quote unquote giving concerts, we're giving more like musical evenings where there's the concert and then people go to a essentially another concert with uh, free free cocktails and that sort of thing. And it just makes for a really fun, uh, fun-er evening. <laughs> That's interesting. I'm thinking about having the program only available electronically because I have a feeling maybe there's some in your audience who might not have like a smartphone. What happens then? We've only had one, really one or two people, uh, my mother being one of them, who's <laughs> like, yeah, I really miss, yeah, I really miss the paper. But uh, it, it's been, no, it's been fine. Um it's been a great thing. And also just, I mean, trying to be green, uh, just the expense of, think about it, you're printing thousands of programs a year. We had really beautiful programs, but I think it's just part of, uh, you know, the, this future course for what we're doing. And yeah, every, you're, you're sort of right. You, you know, every, every time you make a change like that, you're going to have some people go, huh? But I'm, I feel really strongly about it. I love it. And I have a graphics background. I love paper. I love printing. I love designing. But um, this is a great new thing actually. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm really interested in that because I can also, you know, think about being in a movie theater and how annoying it is when somebody is on their phone. <laughs> well, right. But people, I mean, so far, people have been really good. They know, you know, they know they're kind of not supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're also, and we, we've had no issues with the phones actually going off. It's really interesting. In some respects, it makes people, this sounds kind of silly, it almost makes them more careful because, okay, my phone is on, but I have to make sure the ringer is off. Instead of, okay, I'm going to, like, put the phone on silent and put it away. It almost has an opposite effect. And we haven't really had any problem with the uh, ringers going off. You have just released the second recording in a series of recordings devoted to the music of American composer Florence Price. Why are you doing this series? Well, boy, there are a lot of reasons. Um, What it really goes back to, to be honest, is I'm a big believer in um, promoting the culture of our state. And we're an American orchestra, there's 50 states, and I don't think we do this nearly enough. And what I found out was, I was very surprised, if we look at the history of uh, American concert music and the contribution of uh, specifically African-American concert composers, you have really the first two that have a direct connection with Arkansas. And I just one day was reading something. I thought, oh, my gosh, well, Scott Joplin as well. He's kind of the, the first, you know, popular composer. He was raised in Texarkana. So he was, he was constantly, you know, working on the Arkansas side of Texarkana and then the Texas side. So our state has this great uh, tradition. So that's how it started. And of course, it was easy also looking at things on a more national or international level, uh, the idea of promoting music that's really excellent. And uh, we we have the archive or had the archive of so many of her manuscripts at the University of Arkansas, which is one hour north from where I live in Fort Smith. So when I was able to go up there, uh, it's been, what, in 2018 or 2017, and look at all the manuscripts and see all this music that at that time was just, you know, sitting there. It's like, this would be a fantastic project. The first recording you did of Florence Price's music was in 2019 with your own ensemble in Fort Smith. And now this recording, you've traveled to Europe. Yes. And you worked with this Viennese orchestra. Why? Why did you do that? 
Well, uh, the intent originally was for ha- to have the Fort Smith Symphony uh, do the cycle of her symphonies. And we just, you know, this the practical application of COVID and finances. And um, uh, interestingly, the first recording, I think, was so successful that Noxos did want to, before too long, let's, let's get another recording out there. And really, it was kind of a schedule and uh, somewhat of a, a financial thing for us with everything we were trying to do. I think we could have eventually done it here, but they were like, well, we'd like to, let, let's kind of move forward on this. So um, right when co- right when we started hearing about this COVID thing, you know, over a year ago, right, uh, what had happened is the um, Vienna Radio Symphony, I hope I get this right, I think they were supposed to be going on a tour of China and it got canceled because of this, there's this COVID, there's this coronavirus thing there, what's this? So they had free time available for recording. And of course, a big part of what they do is recording and, you know, radio broadcasts. So it was kind of an opportunity uh, at that time, it was somewhat, uh, I wouldn't say last minute, but it was like uh, getting an email. Hey, can you be there in X amount of time? Okay. And uh, we started the project. And as I flew over there, everyone was flying back <laughs> to the States because of COVID. And I, I arrived there to the production manager saying, well, I uh, just want to let you know that we've officially canceled all performances here because of this new COVID thing. But don't worry, uh, we're still recording because there's no audiences. So we did some work in the recording studio. And then uh, later on, they said, well, this has been shut down too. We'll hope to see you again sometime. So we, and we were at a point where we could, you know, stop. And then uh, I managed to make it back in time before that travel became really just totally restricted and then was able to go back in um, this past April to finish. And that was traveling during COVID. So that was being on a big 787, you know, flying overseas with 30 passengers. So it's interesting. It kind of had a start and a finish to it. How different was it performing the music of Florence Price with an American orchestra versus a European one? Uh, you know, that's, it's, it really, it is an excellent orchestra and they're very quick. I mean, they understand, uh, uh, you know, the American or potential American uh, playing style and a lot of times it was more of uh, just a general setting of the mood, or maybe I would conduct something in a certain way. I know initially I didn't have, I didn't say much to them initially, but we talked a little bit about, you know, a, a certain sound, but they, they're very adept at making, I mean, they play a lot of different kinds of music. They actually play a lot of uh, 20th century music, a lot. So they're used to a lot of different styles, but you know, I, I went there with a certain ideal of what I wanted, but I think, at least in my opinion, any reasonable conductor has an idea, but knows that an ensemble is going to bring their own ideas, and the best result is something that's essentially in the middle, I think, which maybe sounds different than maybe maybe at least our old school perceptions of the conductor saying, I want it this way. The fact of the matter is that there's a million different ways to play a musical passage. So it's just trying to figure out and, and, and kind of making sure that it all sort of makes sense. Historically, the music of Florence Price has been ignored. Why do you think it's starting to be revived now over the past few years? I, you know, it's the, it's the sign of our culture now as we're really looking at in, in every aspect of our lives, uh, the diversity question, inclusion question, we just haven't done nearly as much. So we're sort of, 
culturally, I think we're coming at this with kind of a vengeance. We have some uh, people to recognize, right? It's been too long. And I think that when you think about forward-moving organizations, orchestras don't come to mind. (laughs) You know, they're very traditional. And uh, it's great to see now, like this year, I would encourage anyone listening, just take a minute and Google just about any orchestra in America. Just just take your pick. And almost all of them have Florence Price on their season this year, which is great. And I think there's a feeling of, you know, we we really should be doing this. And I can tell you so far is that audience responses have been really great. I'm kind of hearing things. Oh, yeah, we did, you know, Florence Price piece. And people were like, wow. Yeah, that was really, that was beautiful. We really enjoyed it. We didn't know what to expect. And uh, it's great. She really does have a signature sound through her instrumentation and by incorporating spirituals and the sounds of her culture and American sounds. Can you describe... What we hear, for example, in the Symphony Number no. 3 in C minor, what's most intriguing about this work? Well, all of her works, and this one as well, um, there's this sort of underlying bluesy character that you get. And it's, it's what she, she does it, I think, primarily through, uh, there's a lot of blues harmonies. She's definitely influenced that way. It's not like overt jazz, the way sometimes we Rand still is. Um, to me, there's uh, uh, some great almost uh, like revival meeting moments in like the second movement. sophisticated, her most advanced uh, orchestral work, I I think. You know, it's kind of her at the the height of her powers, but there's always that, you're right, there's always that Americanness, Southernness, you know. There's the Juba movement, right? Her uh, dance movements are, are such a breath of fresh air from the Austro-German, as much as I like it, you know, the dance movements are always serious, right? You know, the scherzos. And they're cool, they're, they're, cool, they're intense, but sort of the joy of dancing, we don't hear as much in the concert hall maybe as we should. And that's what I love about her dance movements. I mean, they're just, they're a blast. And Ajuba, I don't know if people are uh, familiar with the Hambone, have you ever heard of Hambone dance? It's where you use your body to uh, uh, for percussion, and you get all these really interesting rhythmic things by you know slapping your everything, your head, your body, your you know your thighs, your knees, and that's kind of this development of the juba. It was interesting to learn that this symphony was written when our nation was in the throes of the Great Depression and that the work itself was commissioned by the Works Progress Administration, which was a federal music project. Tell me more about that. That's right. Isn't that amazing? This idea of, you know, the government really supporting composers, right, and artists in a time when they really needed it. Uh, The WPA was involved in every visual art, music. Of course, it was a huge uh, 
program uh, to improve the infrastructure of our country. It's kind of like what's being talked about right now. And uh, the WPA's music programs, actually, there was, there was a program that was specific to African-American composers. So they, they actually really helped uh, a lot of composers get works done. I forget how many hundreds of pieces they helped uh, promote. Ultimately, I think a few thousand new works performed because they had this support. And the idea, of course, uh, it's great for the creativity, but the idea was to keep artists and musicians and composers working when there was just like nothing at that time. It was a great, very successful thing, I think. Tell me a little bit about the Mississippi River, which was originally a suite. It's filled with some wonderful spirituals, and it does have a message. Can you talk more about this work and what it means? This is uh, Smetana's Moldau on steroids, basically. You know, the Mississippi River is a lot bigger than the Moldau. So, of course, it's a much bigger work. In some respects, this might be her most expansive orchestral work. It's interesting. It almost has a, a film music, you know, cinematographic uh, connotation, which is interesting because Price for a while uh, played piano and organ for uh, silent films and movies. So I think she had some connection with, uh, you know, a, a very specific visual thing that's happening with uh, music. You, you sort of, you know, go through uh, uh, seeing a Native American landscape. Uh, you visit, uh, I guess it would probably be New Orleans. You can hear some, uh, I think, Steamboat Willie. Uh, there's a, a sort of a, a cowboy hangout you pass by. Of course, there has to be rapids and you're on a river, of course. It's just this great episodic journey that, uh, but certain ideas come back. And then at the end, it, you know, it, the river literally empties out into the Gulf. And it ends very softly with just, of course, the expanse of, of the open ocean. Great way, and I'm so glad she did it this way. Just, just a sustained chord. There's a little bit of a harp at the end, and she could have done some big, you know, loud closer. It would have totally uh, changed the whole feel, uh, I think, of the piece. The album features the world premiere recording of Florence Price's Ethiopia's Shadow in America. And it's one of the few pieces that she wrote that has a narrative that's very descriptive. Can you explain what that means? Well, I'll do better than that. How about if I read directly from my score that's in front of me? It's a, it's a terrific piece. Uh, the first movement is the arrival of the Negro in America when first brought here as a slave. That's kind of the first section. Mm -hmm. 
There's a beautiful chorale section, uh, Resignation and Faith. And then his adaptation, a fusion of his native and acquired impulses. So the idea is uh, slaves come to America. It's a, 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 a weighty, terrible experience. There's some attempt to say, well, we're, we're here. Let's try to understand it. Is there any way we can make this work at all in any sort of positive way for us? Is there anything, any positiveness? So there's maybe sort of a look towards maybe some sort of uh, uh, religious or spiritual guidance. And then the last section as well, you know, uh, we're going to try to make it work. And the last section in this, it's not marked as a juba, but it actually kind of is. In all the research and the music now that you have played of Florence Price so far, what have you discovered about her that you really want everybody to know? Uh, I think when I look at her music and when I think about it, I really like what what her music brings to the concert hall or brings to a classical music station. She's she's absolutely American. There's absolutely that Southern quality, right? There's a there's a uh, uh, this sort of vintage, as I said earlier, uh, revival meaning meaning quality to her music, and there's a certain emotional. Um, scope that's just different than what we get with our like uh, angst-driven Austro-Germanic composers, right? I don't want to say the music isn't light. Actually, it's very, a lot of it's very intense, but it's a very different kind of a, it, it, an emotion. And when we go to concert halls or when we're listening to music, and I know you do this with your programming, is you want all of the emotions and every version of the emotion that you can hear through music on the radio or when you go to symphony concerts. And I think her take on music and her flavor of emotion that has that American flavor to it, we're getting more of that with her music in the concert hall. And as particularly for American audiences, we go to these concert halls and well, we're American audiences. We, sh we should be, you know, experiencing uh, America in the 30s you know, uh, uh, that the whole American experience. That's part of being in the concert hall. And hey, I'm not taking anything away from, you know, the Beethovens and the Brahms and the Mahlers. But again, the, the, the concert hall is supposed to represent kind of our, our total experience. So that's what I really like about her music. And that's why ultimately, uh, I think it's real exciting that so many people are playing her music. A new recording featuring rare revivals of orchestral works by Florence Price with John Jetter and the Orff Vienna Radio Symphony Orchestra. Thanks to Valerie Kaler, the producer of this podcast. I'm Julia Bacher, and this is New Classical Tracks from American Public Media.